Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans, and this is my co-host, Michael Fairweather. We're here to provide you with the cybersecurity news that matters to help you in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the Pod Bros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to another awesome episode of the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. This, again, is uh, another mini episode. You know, we didn't have any awesome uh, people lined up right now, but we have some coming down the line. So we're just pumping out a quick little mini cast to get some news out to you and so you can hear our smooth, smooth voices. Smooth jazz. I'm here with my awesome co-host. Michael Fairweather. And today we're going to talk about a very important subject that, that gets to the heart of every Linux user out there. And that subject is CVE 2016-5696, or better known as the TCP off-path attack. Michael, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Linux? Uh, they conquer all. It does conquer all. <laughs> it conquers It conquers so much that Microsoft is going to LinuxCon, I believe it is. It conquers so hard that Microsoft said... Man, we gotta get this in our operating system. We gotta, we gotta get Bash in it. Oh yeah. Which I don't see any good coming from uh, Microsoft going to conferences that focus around freeware. I very much see down the line many of these freeware products that we have now, us having to pay for updates and things like that because Microsoft's getting their their talons in there. You can't tell. I've completely jumped ship on Microsoft. <laughs> but you were such a proponent of Windows 10 a year ago. No, I was not. <laughs> everybody, can right. go, everybody can go back on the records and listen to me. I was never a proponent of Windows 10. I was so anti-Windows 10. All right. Beta, kind of. I, I was like, hey, cool, I'm in the beta. <laughs> then I tried the beta, and I saw, you know, it was cool. You know, the whole Cortana thing. And for an average individual who gets on, checks her email, does some web browsing, yeah, Windows 10 is great for those people. But we are pen testers, you know? Yeah. And for a pen tester, Windows is not a good environment for us, especially if we're – it's back and forth as to, like, how much information Microsoft is actually taking. People are saying one thing one day and then another thing the next day. Um, you know, we could state something today and then all of a sudden tomorrow they say, Hey, we just found these new back doors of what Microsoft's looking at. Um, so I'm not doing a definitive statement as to what data they're collecting. I'm going to avoid that altogether. But as a pen tester, you know, I have some fear that activities I do on there might be looked at as malicious if they are monitoring that kind of stuff and it's actually really really hard for malware analysis for windows 10 because windows 10 now has all this like anti-malware stuff built into it yeah i've tried to pull back pieces of malware to analyze windows 10 just blocks it yeah i remember uh doing that about a year ago you said uh, sitting down and you're talking about it like man i was trying to look at this and just gone you're like oh download 
where did the download go? Like it just never happened. And I had a SANS thumb drive that I plugged into um, the Windows 10 beta two as well to get tools off of. And the SANS thumb drive had uh, pieces of malware on it to analyze and practice with. And Windows went in and deleted it all on me. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Windows, thank you. I didn't ask you to do that. So for an average individual, Microsoft Windows 10 is great for an average everyday user. That's actually specifically why I used Windows 7 um, a while back. I was going through a SANS class and knew there was going to be stuff on there. I was like, all right, I'm throwing it in. I'm using Windows 7 because there's no way I'm having this del- like having a useless thumb drive. Pen testers, malware analysis, avoid it. Just go with Linux. You know, pick your flavor of Linux. Put all your favorite tools on it. Cali. Cali's not necessarily <laughs> my favorite flavor. Yeah, it's nice having everything bundled in together. But I've I've used a couple of different variations. I've used Red Hat, uh, Debian, and Ubuntu. Um, I've tried them all, and whenever I do load them onto my under my laptop. I'll just run through and install my, my pen testing tools on those. I tend to stay away from Cali. I personally, I enjoy Cali. If I'm going to, I don't like having to go out and look for the tools. I do like the fact that when I load it up, what I need's right there, you know, fresh install, whatever, I'm good to go. I do like that. Yeah. Speaking of Cali, though. And Linux. Oh, this is another off topic. Oh, just thing. another? Okay. Yeah. I just completed my uh, Creep Suite tool set. Well, the start, the version 1.0 of Creep Suite. I don't mm-hmm. know if I've told you about Creep Suite, but it's got two components to it. What the first part of Creep Suite lets you do is go to a website, select a file type, and then download all of that file type from a, a given website, which is pretty cool because if you're doing something like building a password list or there's a whole bunch of PDFs, say like 100, 200 PDFs, you got to right-click, save as, right-click, save as, right-click, save as. Yeah. Well, I run my file creep, point it to the website, put in the file extension, it calls out to it, downloads every single file of that file type from the website. It's beautiful. Nice. Yeah. And then the second part of the tool covers identifying cross-site scripting vulnerabilities in Shockwave files. Because there's a lot of websites that have... um, very dynamic content in the banners or on the side of it. And some of those use shockwave files. You can actually exploit those shockwave files. Some of them have unfiltered input that you can actually just append to the end of it and cause across a scripting vulnerability. So second portion of my tool, it's called XSS creep. Put in the website you want, calls out to the website, looks for SWF files, pulls them back decompiles them, and then parses through it um, using signatures that I've been building. Um, and the signatures are built in regular expression, and it, it parses through that code um, after, after it's been converted to ActionScript. And, um, yeah, it tells you if there's a vulnerability in that Shockwave file. Nice. Super simple stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds so like <laughs> so going, hark, hark, uh, going back to the Cali thing, yeah, I, I hope one day the Creep Suite tools are built up enough um, to where, you know, it's one of those default items that are just loaded onto Cali. It'd be really cool. So maybe Cali 3? Yeah. Wait, no, they went to Cali Live, didn't they? They went from 2 to Live. Oh, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't used Cali in a bit. 
Also, it's they've um, <clears throat> it's it's the almost like a not necessarily a daily push, but it's just not it's not really two anymore. They moved it up to uh, um, kind of a more uh, frequent updates, and so I think it's just Cali Live now. Right on. Yeah. All right. Well, enough off-topic items. Good. Good banter <laughs> in the beginning of the show here. Very good. Absolutely. Let's talk about this uh, TCP off-path attack. Why don't you fill us in on it, Michael? Yeah. So recently, um, a Linux TCP flaw um, was announced. And it allows hackers to hijack internet traffic and inject malware remotely. It's not a man-in-the-middle attack like was needed before. It's an an off-path attack using uh, side channels. Uh, It actually allows the uh, hackers to guess the TCP packet sequence numbers accurately within the first 10 seconds of the attack by using no more information than just the IP addresses of both parties. An attacker with spoofed IP address doesn't need a man in the middle position. They're just intercepting, injecting malicious TCP packets between uh, any two machines on the internet. For those of you that don't know, TCP protocol, it's 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 what runs internet communications. All application level protocols, that's your HTTP, F, FTP, SSH, Telnet, DNS, SMTP, they all work over TCP. Um, you down with TCP? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> You know, web servers, applications, they're using the protocol to establish connections uh, between hosts to transfer data between them. So the fact that uh, somebody doesn't have to be between you, but they can use these side channels um, and off-path positions to actually inject uh, malware and code, it's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. One of the most direct impacts to everyday users, um, I would say, would be the 80% of Android devices that are vulnerable to this. That came out to how many? 1.4 billion. That's it. I knew that number off the top of my head. Was, it was somewhere. Thank yeah, you. Well, Thank you for that number. No problem. So everyday users are going to see that in the 1.4 billion Android devices. Um, because that's what a lot of everyday users are using as a Linux platform is the Android devices. Uh, However, there are some other operating systems that are being affected by this. So we have CentOS, Red Hat, Ubuntu, Debian, um, that are also affected by this. You can check whether or not you're affected by this by just doing a uname space dash SR to check your Linux kernel version. If you have... um, kernel version between 3.6 and 4.6, then your server that you're running will be vulnerable to this. Or if you have CentOS or Red Hat versions 6 and 7, those are vulnerable, as well as Ubuntu 12.04, 14.04, 16.04, and uh, 16.10 are vulnerable, as well as Debian 7 and 8 are vulnerable. There are fixes for this, however, for... Uh, the servers. Why don't you tell us about how to fix it for the servers, Michael? Yeah, so for the servers, um, the biggest thing you're going to do is you're going to basically do a change in the uh, to your Etsy sysctl.conf file. At the very end, you're going to add net.ipv4.tcp underscore challenge underscore ACK underscore limit equals that's a big number. A lot of nines. 
we'll post up the the how to mitigate the off path attack in our show notes. So yeah, that way you can it's, see it's, exactly how many nines it is. It's 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 nine nines. Nine hundred ninety nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. So you would say it's over nine thousand. Well over nine thousand. Nine 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 nine. Nine nine. Nine. Nine nine nine. Yes. A lot of nines. Nine nines. <laughs> um once you're done with that, once you've once you've appended that file, the sys the sysctl comp file, you're gonna use sysctl tac p uh, to activate the role. You're doing this all the all of this through the terminal. But yeah, once you're done with that, yeah, that that should at least mitigate the the TCP tac for now until a proper fix comes through. Unfortunately, for Android users, uh, there's no fix. Any any device running Android KitKat, which is your 4.4 and higher, are vulnerable to this to this flaw. And even the the newest Android um, Nougat. So yeah, even even Nougat is is vulnerable as well. But hopefully Google will take that, come up with a a fix action for Android uh, as as it is. The the new Nougat should should be pushed with a new uh, update for that. I, and I would assume I say assume. Never assume would, anything in the world of yeah. cybersecurity. Let me go ahead and say I would hope. That's probably a better way to say it. I'm not going to assume that they're going to fix it. I would hope that they would look at the amount of users on each operating system on Android and go ahead and push at least some kind of update for those as well, for the older ones. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there still using Android 4.4. Oh, yeah. So many people using Android 4.4. Not only... You know, it's not only cell phones, but there are a large number of tablets mm-hmm. that are using Android 4.4. You know, and, and a lot of people like to think, when they think about cell phones, they think about, you know, like the mainstream cell phones. So like the LG G5 and, and you know, the Samsung Notes and stuff like that. But, like, go into a Walmart and see all of those prepaid phones that, you know, a lot of kids or you know lower income individuals are going to be buying those aren't going to have the newest os's they're going to have the lower end os's to match that hardware yeah that's true and then uh things like the amazon fire tablets and and the cheaper tablets um that have lower end hardware those are going to have the android 4.4 to be able to match that that hardware so I'd say less people actually have the newer phones, the ability to put the lower end operating system on lower end hardware and get it into more hands. We're going to have a bigger market of lower end stuff. Um, yeah. And I think that's why we're seeing such high numbers because of the amount of products that are pushed out. That's true. I would think it would be, yeah, it would definitely be much less if it was, if there weren't that many devices out there. Yeah, if the industry stuck with how the computer market sticks with the operating systems, if the mobile market stuck with OSs like the server and um, desktop and laptop world stuck with operating systems, then yeah, we, we would definitely see less of those devices because it'd be more expensive to make and it'd be in less hands. So now I'm wondering what the other 20%, so 80% of Android smartphones and tablets running... Four four and higher. So, are the twenty percent the ones that are not that are running less than four four, like lower than KitKat? 
that are still out there today? Because that's still a high number then. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there is there are devices that are lower than KitKat that are still out there. Most so definitely. Gonna, yeah, I've got a I've got a Samsung Note, the uh 10.1, the tablet, and I had to jailbreak to push to four four. Because when I got it, it was four one. They pushed to four two, four dot two. I don't even remember what that one was, like jelly bean or ice cream or I don't remember. And then that was it. I remember jailbreaking to get honeycomb. That's been a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, so this has been my – no, it's not my only one. This has been my only tablet that ha- that's run that runs Android. I do have a little uh, kind of uh, mini computer, I guess you could call it, almost like a Raspberry Pi basically mm-hmm. that's running Android on it right now. Um does the is the Google Google Chromecast that runs Android, right? I thought that was uh with the Chromecast, I thought that was the, the Google's own kind of uh fork off of it. I was gonna say maybe that OS. Um you know, there are the smart TVs. Some smart TVs may have a version of Android running as well. Um so that might be in that, that realm of of that 20%. And then the, the Fire Stick OS, I, I don't know if that's Android either. I don't use a lot of those devices, but that's what that, that 20% of market might be made up of is, is those devices. Yeah, that's true. So still running some form of Android, just not a form that would actually be susceptible to this. Yeah, because you know it can be, the Chromecast could be a branch of the Android OS. Yeah. Actually, so I'm looking here, Chromecast itself, it's a simplified version of Chrome OS, but it does say that a a team of hackers reported the device is more Android than Chrome OS. Yeah, so that it could have a different kernel version and that could be part of the 20%. Yeah. Mystery solved. (laughs) Huzzah. 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 If our listeners haven't figured it out yet, we're nerds (laughs) and and enjoy (laughs) stuff like this. Obviously, we enjoy stuff like this, but trying to figure out, you know, even a silly puzzle as far as what's the other 20% of Android devices that wouldn't be susceptible to this? You know, we keep in a majority of just the news stuff and really don't keep in a lot of our banter of trying to figure stuff out. But I'm definitely going to keep in this banter of trying to figure stuff out in because I think that kind of stuff is beneficial to our listeners, you know, because they might have the same kind of questions and our bantering might make a light bulb click, you know, might lead them down a path of uh, another answer to another question. Absolutely. I mean, heck, it's how we do most of our stuff anyway. I know, right? <laughs> true true story. <laughs> We're like, hey, what is what is that thing? How does that, What what is that? Let's do a little quick research. Oh, okay, that's what the, that is. All right, now let's edit that out so we look like geniuses. <laughs> we're not. We're not geniuses. We're not. Let's let's let, us, let our listeners hear just how goofy we are. So, back to the CVE. This is not a man in the middle attack. It is really difficult to pull off if you uh, don't know the the acknowledgement packets. Um, you have to do a lot of guessing to try to figure out the injection point. However, a man in the middle attack will help with this. 
uh, pulling off this attack. So the only thing I can say to our listeners of how to protect themselves from it is to not use wireless access points that they don't trust because those kind of access points are susceptible to man-in-the-middle attacks. Until they find a fix for this, I would avoid that Starbucks coffee shop or Target Wi-Fi or Kohl's Wi-Fi. I don't know. Does Walmart have Wi-Fi yet? I haven't seen it. I don't really go to Walmart, though. Yeah. Neither do I. I shop all at Target. We have an HEB. Much love, Target, if you want to sponsor us. (laughs) Except for that whole hack two years ago. Yeah. That sucked. But it was better than the Sony hack. Yeah. (laughs) Always crap it on Sony. Oh, Sony. All right, everybody. We're going to wrap this episode up here since we told you how to protect yourself. And this is is a mini cast. We've almost recorded as long as a normal cast. I know we have. (laughs) It's it's a mini long. It's a macro cast. All right, everybody. We want to give a shout out and a thank you to our sponsors, Cybrary.it. You will hear their ad at the end of this episode. But they really are an awesome, awesome resource for free IT education. You should really check them out at cybrary.it. And as always, well, up until recently, as always, please follow us on Twitter at C-Y-D-E-F-E. And then what's yours, Michael? C-Y-D-E-F-E underscore Mike. Nice. So follow us on Twitter. Also, our episodes are going up on YouTube now. So if you don't want to download our podcast, but you still want to listen to it at work, you can check it out on YouTube. All the ways. Which which we will put a link to in our show notes. All right. I was your host for this week, Raymond Evans, and he was my super awesome co-host. Michael Fairweather. (laughs) Stay safe. Keep your network safe. And have a week. Have a week. Cybersecurity training has traditionally been really expensive and therefore too hard to come by for many people. The result of super high price training is a skill gap that has left the industry with over 1 million unfilled jobs, which is crazy. But Cyberary is working to change that. The cybersecurity training revolution has begun. Get free training courses and find jobs in the field at Cyberary.it. Employers looking for cybersecurity talent can also post jobs there. So again, free cybersecurity training and jobs at Cyberary.